We're told by Holly Darer that the celebrated Southern writer Elizabeth Spencer wrote her most famous story, The Light in the Piazza, while living abroad. She had left the small town in which she grew up, Carrollton, Mississippi, on a Guggenheim Fellowship for Italy. There, she also wrote The Voice at the Back Door about race relations in the South. This novel provoked the disapproval of her parents and her community. As racial tension reached a boiling point, Spencer's father had chosen to align with segregationists. Even her mother, who used to read to her and encouraged her to write, was appalled that her daughter had written so honestly about race in the South. The Voice at the Back Door was voted as the Pulitzer Prize winner in 1957, but rather than give it to her, the Pulitzer board decided not to bestow a prize that year. Rejected by her parents and under constant pressure to stop writing, Spencer spent the next 25 years living in Europe and Canada. It is perhaps this distance that allowed her to write a deeply personal work about the strength it takes to defy the moonlight and magnolia romanticization of the White South. The Light in the Piazza was Spencer's first story about a woman, and for the rest of her career, she continued to write specifically about women who break the rules. In The Light in the Piazza, Spencer has envisioned a world in which her mother's support of her youthful creativity, what makes Spencer different in Carlton, continued into her adulthood. In reality, Spencer rarely visited her hometown, and her husband and her family never got along. But in the musical, the mother, Margaret Johnson, manages to defy her husband and empower her daughter to follow her heart, come what may. In a documentary about her life, Landscapes of the Heart, named after Spencer's autobiography, the writer cites a class she took in college in modern literature as a major inspiration. The modern sensibility of the light in the piazza story is mirrored in the modernist music composed by Alan Guttell. Guttell is the grandson of Richard Rogers, but unlike the musicals of Rogers and Hammerstein, Guttell's songs aren't hummable. They're more like cascades of sound that never quite resolve. In that way, the music illuminates the refraction of identity at the heart of the story and hints at a musical realization of light. A musical realization of light. That from Holly Durr, writing in Ms. Magazine in 2014 about the light in the piazza. In an author's note at the start of the script, Spencer writes, from scene to scene, the action in the light in the piazza is continuous. One world bleeds into another. Characters walk from indoors to out and back in again. The effect intended is seamless, cumulative. As in a movie, there is rapid cross-cutting. The flow of emotions takes precedence over the literal. The world moves with a heart. We're invited into that world, a world that moves with the heart, as Marywood University's Department of Music, Theater, and Dance presents The Light in the Piazza, the weekend of February 17th. 
We had a chance to speak by phone with Dr. Timothy Piles, assistant professor and director of the theater program at Marywood, about the choice of that musical and the production itself. There's a lot of factors that go into choosing a season. It's like a complicated jigsaw puzzle. Because on the one hand, we are trying to do shows that we think our audience will be interested in, that we think are going to be compelling to folks who might see it. We also have to factor in how much money do we have to spend and how much time do we have, all of those things. But the biggest concern is always what is going to be best for the students. That's always the biggest factor is what students do we have at this particular time and what material will help challenge them and move them forward. So that's always the number one priority. And how that factored into Choosing the Light in the Piazza is that this show is a really challenging show musically. It's a little bit non-traditional for musical theater in the sense that there's a lot of classical style in it, even some operatic style in it, which is very unusual for musical theater. Recently, there was a revival in the last few years that the Lyric Opera of Chicago did, actually. That's how sort of operatic it can be at times, and that Renee Fleming starred in, the famous soprano. So... It's very, very challenging musically. It's really a push for our students to to sort of master this material vocally. And that's kind of why we did it, because we thought this would be a great challenge for them and would really push them to grow and improve with their with their musical abilities. It's also it's a beautiful show. It's gorgeous. And we just think our audiences are really going to love it. Now, how do we come to experience Florence setting-wise? So we have, for this show, done something that we have been doing for a couple of years here at Marywood, which is very exciting, which we have collaborated on the scenic design with the School of Architecture. So the School of Architecture here at Marywood, which is just an amazing, amazing place with incredibly talented, incredibly hardworking students and faculty, they have incorporated into their classes for their fifth-year students. It's a five-year-long program over in architecture. And their fifth-year students, one of the classes that they take is a class where they have to design, uh, not just design, but also build something. And for the last couple of years, one of those projects has been the scenic design for one of our shows. And so this year, it's the Light in the Piazza. So those students were tasked uh, way back starting in September with coming up with a design that would evoke sort of the flavor of Florence, the colors, the texture, you know, the artwork. And I think they've done a really remarkable job. Serendipitously, the architecture students all do as part of their program, all of them do a semester in Florence. So they've all been there in person been to the Uffizi Gallery and been in the Duomo, which are both settings where scenes in the show happen, and been in the Piazza di Michelangelo, which is where a lot of the scenes happen, and so forth. So they really had a firsthand sense of of what sort of the atmosphere is. And uh, so I think they've done a great job of sort of evoking that through through color, through shape, even with some interesting things that we're doing with the lights, with shadows, and 
stuff like that. So I think it's going to be really visually, I think it's going to be really a lovely experience. The costumes are uh, beautiful. It's set in the 1950s. So we have that sort of, you know, those wonderful 50s clothes. And then there's a lot of Italian, uh, a lot of Italian in the show that people speak. There's some songs in Italian, you know, which is which is, I think, really beautiful. Now, without giving too much away, tell us a little bit about the premise. Absolutely. It's uh, it's a romance. It's set in uh, in the summer of 1953 in Florence. A mother and her daughter, an American mother and her daughter from North Carolina, are there on vacation. And the daughter, the young daughter, meets a young Italian boy, and they fall in love. And there's a variety of complications, you know, various obstacles that get in the way of, is this young love going to be successful, and uh, will the families accept each other, and will this be allowed to flourish, and so forth. You know, I I don't feel like I'm, I feel like it's okay to tell folks it's a happy ending. Love prevails. So that's, that's sort of the gist of it. It's this beautiful, beautiful, lovely, musically gorgeous, scenically gorgeous show about young people falling in love and, you know, the trials and tribulations of that. But it's also, it also has this wonderful perspective from the older folks in the show, from the parents who, you know, are a little bit worried, they're a little bit concerned because they have the perspective of age and they're aware that these sort of naive idealism of young love is apt to give way eventually to real life and the challenges of real life and of real relationships. So they're aware of that and they're kind of wary that their their kids are you know, so wrapped up in the, the sort of fairy tale of it all. But in the end, I think the show is asking us, without letting go of that wisdom and that perspective that comes with age, about what sort of real love is and what a real grown-up relationship entails, without asking us to let go of that, it does ask us, I think, to, to remember the beauty and the purity of first love, of young love, and and to maybe say, you know what, maybe without setting aside the things I've learned as I've grown, maybe there's still something important about that, that idealism, that young idealism that I need to open my heart up again to and not just not allow life to make me cynical or jaded, which I think is a really a lovely thing. We always think of Italian stories and the Italian culture as intertwined inextricably with food. Are there any food yeah. scenes? <laughs> That's it's, it's funny because you're absolutely right. But there's you know there's not really actually. It's it's really focused on a lot more on the art. There's a lot that has to do with the statues and the paintings in Italy, the sort of old tradition, the Renaissance tradition. And sort of some of the cultural aspects of, you know, taking taking walks in the afternoon, which the Italians call uh, a passeggiata, which is sort of an afternoon walk. There's there's a lot of focus on, on those aspects of the, the Italian culture, as well as just sort of the just the atmosphere and the colors and all that sort of stuff. But there is a little bit of wine. I'll say that. There's a little bit of wine. And there is a little bit of talk about 
coffee and, and the great Italian coffee tradition, espresso and so forth. Do they actually name some of the artists? Do they spend time considering a particular piece of sculpture or a particular painting? They do a little bit. Yes, they do. There's a scene that's in the Uffizi Gallery, which is sort of the premier art gallery in Florence, where Michelangelo's David is the most famous piece that's in the Uffizi, but among many other things. And they spend some time in the Duomo, which is this very famous Renaissance church that has this gorgeous freestanding dome, as well as some of the artwork that's out in public in the squares, the piazzas. So yes, they do they do spend some there is some focus on some of those very Florence specific pieces of art. There's music and it's complex and almost operatic as you suggest. What about choreography? There is. There's some lovely dancing in the show. There's some lovely dancing. You know, it's again, it's a sort of non-traditional musical in the sense that there's not big song and big dance numbers where sort of all of a sudden we we sort of break into a full cast big dance number. It's not like that. It's it's a little smaller and more intimate. It's often just two characters who will have some dancing together. It's very sort of incorporated into the world of the show and into the world of the play, into the world of the music. You know, the two young lovers, Fabrizio and Clara, they have a language barrier. Fabrizio speaks Italian, and he speaks a little bit of English, but not well. And Clara speaks English, and she speaks a little bit of Italian, but not well. And so they have a couple of songs where they talk about how touch becomes their language. Uh, Touch becomes the way that they communicate. And so there's some really lovely, sensitive choreography between the two of them where they sort of are communicating to each other through movement and through physical touch. You always, because you're a pro and because you love theater and you're always growing every day as a human being, so Mm. how about you and this show? Has putting this on now opened any vistas for you or small things for you? Having done this, you'll go on and say, oh, I remember when we did Light in the Piazza. Mm, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, every show I do, like you sort of alluded to, every show I do teaches me things. It's one of the reasons, it's another one of the reasons why I pick particular shows is because uh, I never want to choose a show that doesn't make me think or that doesn't move me or that isn't something I want to spend a great deal of time with. And so this show, you know, I was just talking to the cast actually the other night about this, but this show, it encourages us to question the compromises we've made in terms of our own happiness. So as life goes on and as we age, we we make compromises. We say, well, I had hoped for this, but I'll settle for this. Or I had, you know, when I was young, I dreamed of this, but I'll settle for this. And some of that, like I was alluding to earlier in our conversation, some of that is about wisdom. Some of that is about growing older and understanding the complexities of the real world and that some of what you dreamed about as as a young person, you know, was a bit naive. That said, 
not just in matters of the heart, but also just in the, the way we live our lives day in and day out. Even something as simple as, as you alluded to, the food we eat and how we spend our time. You know, are we choosing to live the life that we want to live? And if not, why not? And and can we remember the life that we did want to live and and try to move towards that again instead of allowing ourselves to feel like we've we've just settled ourselves into a sort of dreary existence. I would think that many people just sort of gave up during COVID and said, yeah. what can you do? What can one do? Right. So especially after that, this would be an important experience to have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now tell us when we can see it. Sure. So it is at the set Lavergetta Center for the Performing Arts at Marywood University. And the performances are Friday, February 17th at 7.30 p.m. And then Saturday, February 18th at 2 p.m. And again at 7.30 p.m. And then Sunday, February 19th at 2 p.m. So there's four shows in total. It is free admission. There's no tickets. It's uh, it's free admission and open seating. We will be gratefully accepting donations, but it is free. You have a Department of Music, Theater and Dance. How about yes. the music for this? Who's playing? Yes. So it's a. Uh, thank you for asking that. It's a. It's a piano, a violin, a cello, a bass, and a harp. Which if you know, if anyone's listening and they've never had the opportunity to hear harp live, real harp live, not synthesized harp or on a recording, it's really an opportunity not to be missed. Nearly everyone involved is a student, but for the harpist, actually, we needed to bring in an outside professional. So a woman from down in the Lehigh Valley is, uh, who's a professional harpist is coming up to do it, and she's really amazing. And so it's strings, piano, and harp, and it's just going to sound stunning. Dr. Timothy Piles, Associate Professor and Director of the Theatre Program at Marywood University in Scranton, speaking about the light in the piazza to be presented the weekend of February 17th at the Set Lavergetta Center on the Marywood campus. Admission is free, and here are the dates and times. Friday the 17th of February at 7.30 p.m., Saturday two performances, at 2 in the afternoon, a matinee, and then again that evening at 7.30, and then Sunday the 19th of February at 2 o'clock. For more information on the web, marywood.edu, marywood.edu, and you'd be looking for the Music, Theater, and Dance Department, marywood.edu. Friday at 7.30, Saturday at 2 and 7.30, and Sunday at 2. That's the 17th, 18th, and 19th of February on the campus of Marywood University in the Set Lavergetta Center for the Performing Arts, marywood.edu.